Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Let's get after it. Another Monday back here on the Corner 3. Took last week off due to Labor Day. Thank you all for understanding. I'm Austin Orman. Glad you're along for the ride. I've got the fellas here, Matt and Landon. Okay, Landon's here. Matt was just here, and then he disappeared. But hey, that's all right. We'll uh, be back at some point. Landon, how's the SID going at UNI? How, how, how are them Panthers? It's things are going quite well. Uh, women's soccer is off to the best um, start in program history. We're seven zero and one. Valley play starts this weekend. Uh, they've got a, a really big match against Drake on Sunday, but that's been going really well. Uh, worked my first FCS football game on Saturday. Uh, quite a tragic one for the Panthers. Uh, it was a ranked on ranked matchup at the Unidome. Uh, unfortunately, turnovers got the better of us on Saturday. I believe we ended up with about six or seven total. Not a great formula if you're wanting to beat a, a good football team like Weaver State. So really impressed by them, by the way. Uh, but could not come out with the dub, but I'm very excited for um, our home slate. Uh, should be a lot of fun working those home football games as the season progresses too. North Dakota State comes to the Unidome Ooh. at um, – very beginning of November, I believe it's the last home game of the regular season. Uh, so that's going to be a ton of fun, and I'm really excited to get you know the to to watch a lot of good Valley football. So quite 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 exciting, and yeah, everything's been going well and getting settled in nicely. Hard to believe it's been two weeks since we've recorded last, but it's been uh, a lot's happened since then. I feel like it really has been a lot. Um, before we get to Matt's Colorado stories, rumor has it you're heading south. A little ways on Saturday. Can you confirm or deny those rumors? Me. Yeah. Go no, on. not this Saturday. Oh. Uh, two Saturdays. Two Saturdays. Now okay. Oklahoma State, Iowa State. Uh, we'll see. I, I, you and I's off. It, it might have to happen. Ames is just an hour away. A lot of people actually this weekend uh, that would have ordinarily gone to a UNI football game were at the Cyhawk game on Saturday uh, in Ames. Um, and that might have to happen. Yeah, no, Oklahoma State in the three quarterback um, roulette <laughs> wheel of fun uh, goes back home this weekend for uh, South Alabama uh, on Saturday night. I think it's six. And then, yeah, the Big 12 opener is in Ames. And if we're still rolling with three quarterbacks, uh, that's like an, uh, an insta ticket buy. Um, that's like the college football story. I feel like not enough t- people are talking about how Oklahoma State just rolled into a a non-conference road game against a power five school and just played three quarterbacks and split it up, you know, one, two, two or one, two, one uh, quarters wise. So yeah, no, next Saturday is the, is the big one at the, uh, the house of horrors for OSU athletics. So that might be what, uh, that might be a, uh, a good show topic potentially. So we'll see. We will have to see. It's uh, really like they just need you there. That's uh, that's been the missing piece all these years. It, 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 you know, you, you might not be wrong about that. Last go around in Ames was particularly tragic uh, with that 2021 team losing up there. So I might need to go and write the ship. We'll see. Speaking of tragic losses, Matt, I believe you were at Colorado in 2019 and you had some stories you wanted to tell. Is that true? Yeah, I thought that would have been, if we had a show last week, that would have been a, a great show topic. Uh, I'm sure there's been some crazy stories from the Nebraska contingent from this last week. But I guess first off, have either of you guys been to a game out there? Have not. Okay. Um, It is really cool. Like the flat irons, awesome. Like the setup, really cool. Although, I don't know. I was there last fall, like back in October for a wedding in Boulder. And Folsom Field is was still a dump. Um, it was in 2019. I don't know if they've made more updates or upgrades to it since uh, since Deion Sanders got there, Coach Prime. Uh, but that was kind of the first thing I noticed is that just, you know, half of the stadium there is – they take good care of with, um, you know, they've got like the club seats and the – you know, you can sit at a table and eat while you watch <laughs> mediocre Pac-12 football. <laughs> Um, hey, soon to be Big Twelve. But then football. the other half, it, 
soon to be. But then the other half is just, it's like connected to a field house. There's, I mean, there was only porta potties available for just half the stadium. Um, and the press box was also, it's open air, which is cool, but also uh, very much in need of renovation. Very good pregame meal, I remember. Um, but also, you know, it was a pretty big crowd, not 800 media people, but it was still a pretty big contingent of people that came to Boulder for that 2019 game. And the Daily Nebraskan only had two spots, and the third one got moved up by, like, student radio, the level above. Uh, so it was me, Luke Mullen, shout out Luke, and Drake Keeler, shout out Drake. I think that was all that came with, if I remember correctly. Um, and so I was like, okay, you guys can have those two. I'll go up to the next level and then get up there. And when I sat down, the window was literally like at my chin. Like it was an obnoxiously tall window. I was like, I can barely see out this window unless I stand all day. And so I was like, you know what? If I'm going to stand all day, uh, I might as well just go down on the field and watch this game from the field. So I did that, except the only problem was I thought, okay, Boulder, Colorado, mid-September, like it might get a little chilly. So I'm going to wear like a cotton button-down shirt, uh, long sleeves. And just walking to Folsom Field, you could literally see like the sweat stains from my backpack on this shirt. It was like, I cannot be at field level when it was like 90 degrees out with no wind. So uh, I was like kind of frantically running around campus before the game. It was kind of a cool way to get to explore the Colorado campus. I, I felt like I learned a lot about the, the culture of the university just by doing that, like going into any building and seeing if there was some sort of polo for sale. And eventually I did find the, the Boulder bookstore and bought the only polos they had were these like Columbia, Colorado polos. So I had to wear a Colorado polo on the field. But luckily, because technically I was like same media credentials, say a photographer, they just gave me like a Pac-12 media vest for uh, to wear for the whole game. So that covered up the logo and it was hot. Uh, the student section was, I mean, to put it nicely, was just baked out of its mind to the point where you were just walking through clouds when you got to that part of the the field. Um, the Denver Nuggets had like four players there, I believe. The only reason I could tell was, I mean, Bull Bull is a very recognizable <laughs> person whenever you see him around. So they were on the sidelines. It was, uh, coincidentally enough, that was, I think, Mel Tucker's first home game at Colorado. So a lot has changed since then. Um, and also just the heat was insane. So they didn't have like most press boxes have like, you know, the, the soda machine. Uh, they just had like bottled water and cans of soda and bottled water ran out before halftime uh, down in like the photo area where, you know, all the photographers get to set up and develop the stuff. They ran out of water in the first quarter. So there was just like no water available. I think several Colorado cheerleaders had heat strokes during that game and had to be like literally carted off the sidelines. Uh, but other than that, it was just an awesome game. Uh, kind of crazy. I mean, that was, in my opinion, one of the big turning points in the Scott Frost era. And for me, honestly, I felt like that was the turning point where everyone kind of realized, okay, maybe Adrian Martinez isn't like a Heisman caliber quarterback. Cause I remember he gets the ball back with like two minutes left in a tie game in regulations. Like, okay, this is, could be a Heisman moment here. And then he throws a pick on like the second play of the drive. So it things, it wasn't the beginning of the end there, but that was kind of the first signs of like, well, that didn't go as it was expected. So, but all in all, it was a, a crazy experience. And I believe, I think Drake won the 40 or the, yeah, the 40 yard dash we did on the, the field after that one. So shouts out to Drake. <laughs> and ironically, Nebraska loses at Colorado, comes back home to play Northern Illinois in 2019. Guess what? We have more of the same now. Although those Colorado games, Fox very much, game. that was the Fox business game. Never forget Northern Illinois scored eight points with two field goals and a safety. They were at five that was points. One of the Nebraska had a lot of really stupid safeties in the Scott Frost era, 
but that one gets forgotten because, you know, it was a blowout and they won easily. Uh, that was the stupidest of them all. I think they tried like a sweet play to Maurice Washington at the goal line and like three NIU players just blew it up. <laughs> it was like, well, that was weird. And for the longest time, it was like, it was like 23 to five for like most of that game. It was like, come on, let's just hold this score. Like give us a, a score gami for college football. Okay. So actually it wasn't 23 to five for all that long. It was 16, nothing Nebraska, uh, with 12 and a half minutes to go in the second quarter, Northern Illinois kicks a field goal with eight minutes to go. And Nebraska scores 40 seconds later. Um, they get the ball back and Northern Illinois, or yeah. So they score a touchdown with seven twenty to go. Northern Illinois scores at safety with a minute 50 left in the first half. And Nebraska scores a touchdown with five seconds to go. So it's 30 to five heading into halftime. That's what it was. But they stayed on five for like most of the second half. And then they kicked a sad field goal. I was like, come on, we wanted the five. So the sad field goal actually happened. They was the first score of the second half, five minutes in. Oh my God. Okay. Well, (laughs) that shows how much I was paying attention. I remember that was a game. I think like Iowa, Iowa state, that was the year game day came and they like Iowa state muffed a punt in the final minute. So I remember a lot of people like weren't even watching the Nebraska game. They were just kind of watching Iowa, Iowa state in the, in the like cafeteria room up in the press box. So that, uh, it was a weird night. The entire first half of Nebraska's game. I mean, I found your column, Matt, on the Daily Nebraska's <laughs> website. First of all, the fact that you had uh, the parentheticals for Fox Business, uh, that, that, that is an elite headline. That'll stand the test of time. Uh, I caught the Iowa State note, and then the names in here, just just what a throwback. What a nice jog down memory lane. Conaway Noah caught his first touchdown as a Nebraska Husker in that one. That was like the first of the transfer wide receiver um wave in consecutive years folks you thought would have an impact that just kind of never really panned out but that's just a fun like a where were you like kind of time capsule there it really wasn't that long ago but with how much has changed like that's just like a really funny like little piece to look back on just with what happened in the game and like just how much has changed and like yeah some of these names Dedrick Mills had a great game shout out to him uh, so that's just, that's just a funny little time capsule that I stumbled upon here on the Daily Nebraska website. And fun fact, uh, 2017, the Northern Illinois game then, was the first ever football game for Nebraska that I, I covered <laughs> as media. So, uh, yeah, my bad. And uh, please don't find that column because I was very wrong. I was like, oh, this doesn't mean anything for the rest of the season. <laughs> and then Sean Eichhorst came out and was like, Vote of confidence. Fine. And then everything Everything went bad after that. So it's not all your fault, but we will certainly blame you for it. So thanks for wearing that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you say we talk some hoops? Does that sound like a plan? Yeah, I'm in. Cool. Um, okay, so hoops. There have been a couple columns today written that we have thoughts on. The first one was from this new site, The Messenger, but Seth Davis, who does a lot of college basketball, was the one who helped with the reporting and penning the piece. Uh, Dana O'Neill of The Athletic also put out a piece about why the NCAA tournament needs to expand, or at least, hey, it's inevitable, it's coming. Let's talk about that. That's what we're going to get into. I don't know if I agree with all of the rationale, but postseason expansion, what would it mean to have a, a tournament run by a network like Seth Davis is reporting? That's where we're going to go with this show. If you have thoughts, let us know, 402-464-5685. Or if you're watching on stream, let us know in the comment sections. I'm Austin there, Matt and Landon. This is The Corner 3. We'll be right back with that postseason conversation. You're listening to The Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. More college basketball analysis after this timeout. Back to the corner three on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. We're talking postseason basketball, putting the card a little bit before the horse here, uh, but it's in the news here on the corner three. Landon and Matt with me as always here on the corner three. If you have any thoughts, let us know 402-464-5685. All right, guys, let's just dive right in. This comes from The Messenger, a kind of new website I haven't heard much from, but Seth Davis, who's done a lot, a lot, a lot of college basketball writing, some of which I agree with, most of which I haven't for the past little while. 
um, puts this article out more reporting than anything, saying uh, Fox Sports is negotiating with several power conferences to hold a postseason men's basketball tournament in, guess where, Las Vegas, featuring teams that didn't qualify for the NCAA tournament. Um, sounds like the current setup is 16 teams playing only at T-Mobile Arena out there in Vegas. It'll happen the final week of March, uh, kind of right after the Elite Eight before the Final Four. So all of that getting really condensed into just a few days of basketball there. Um, The biggest takeaway for me, at least the biggest initial takeaway, is that this tournament is being set up by Fox, by a TV network specifically, and that the teams that would be invited to this, this postseason tournament are... Big 10, Big 12, and Big East teams. You would throw the Pac-12 in there since they have the agreement with Fox, but we all know what's happening with the Pac-12 not really existing. So you take the top 16 of those three conferences that didn't make the NCAA tournament. They would be required in this agreement to not go to the NIT and to go play in this few-day basketball soiree out in Las Vegas instead. The fact that this is even being considered is wild to me. If we're letting one TV network basically just ditch the NIT, I don't like that. I don't like where this is headed. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll jump in here. This, it was really kind of shocking to see this come up. And I think one of the bigger other takeaways that I had, um, the quote in there, firstly, um, to your point, Austin, about, you know, this is a tournament that's being operated by Fox. Fox is planning to encourage its corporate partners to set up name, image, and likeness deals for players who are competing. Don't know what that means. Um, but, you know, obviously in this new world of NIL, that's going to be a big factor, I guess, in this proposed mm-hmm. hypothetical tournament here. Secondly, there was a quote from an anonymous coaching source in there Um, that I thought was really interesting and I think is going to be important to discuss as we, you know, bring bring up this topic here. Uh, The quote is, this would create more postseason opportunities in men's basketball, and it would also open up more spots for mid-major schools to play in the NIT. So to the point of this tournament maybe replacing that, it sort of seems like in this ideal world, this Fox tournament becomes the second tier, so to speak, of postseason tournaments in college basketball. And the NIT is more relegated to something we've seen in like the CBI or when the CIT was around, like really, truly just the mid-major schools. Um, and the third thing is, I don't know if you, um, either of you, I'm sure you probably have, NIT Stu on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, the big proponent. Legend. Mm-hmm. He, he is a legend. He tweeted out a list um in reply, in a reply to that Seth Davis tweet that was just like, so if this tournament was around last year, here are the teams that would have been in it using the criteria. Georgetown, DePaul, Butler, St. John's, Seton Hall, Villanova from the Big East, Minnesota, Ohio State, Nebraska, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Michigan from the Big Ten, and then from of the Big 12 crew, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. That's... That is a very hideous, disgusting list of schools. I don't really think anybody wants to see those, those, how those teams ended the season. I don't know if anybody wants to see those schools play more basketball. Um, And then the last thing I just wanted to bring up quickly is um, a big thing that happened last year. uh, That's important to note in all of this that I haven't really seen brought up is the fact that schools like Texas tech, denied a postseason declined to postseason invitation why didn't you say north carolina that's next schools <laughs> like north carolina declined postseason invitations the reasons for both are different texas tech had um, their own drama going on with mark adams north carolina felt it was too good to play <laughs> um i think the note the note i left was uh entitlement uh you know <laughs> to uh feeling like they were above the nit but if you're can i also add Apparently Dayton also declined going to the NIT. I'm looking on Wikipedia from this this last year's tournament. It says Dayton declined, but it was unclear if they would have been invited. So they declined so they didn't have to be told they weren't invited. There's also Dayton. But (laughs) if you're putting together a tournament with a lot of power conference schools, you're going to run into the issue where there will be coaching changes if these schools that aren't making the NCAA tournament. The reality is if they're doing this, 
they probably had a disappointing season. So if you're dealing with things like coaching change, internal strife, things of that nature, you're probably going to run into this issue a lot more where teams are just going to be like, nah, you know, we've kind of gone through a lot already this season. We just might be good. And if you're already seeing that with the NIT, I can only imagine more of the same will happen. So I know that was a bit long, but those are sort of my jumbled together thoughts on everything. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's just where my head's at with it. Matt, before you jump in, Landon, I'm, I'm glad you went there because my second biggest point was what you brought up. If these teams already don't want to play in the NIT, why do we make them contractually obligated to play? They don't want to be there. If they don't want to be there, we don't want to watch. And we probably didn't want to watch anyways. Like, you run through that list of teams, the only teams I have even a a small passing interest in watching is maybe Villanova, maybe. You can throw maybe Wisconsin who got hot in the NIT, but I hate their style of play and wouldn't have watched them. Michigan, only because they're Big Ten, but they were bad. Pokes, I'd watch for your sake, but not because they were particularly (laughs) entertaining. Texas Tech and Oklahoma, blah. It's not good basketball. Why are we forcing more mediocre, at best, basketball on teams that don't want to be there just to say we can? That's not a recipe for success. It's a recipe for people to hate college basketball. Yeah, and really quickly, Matt, before one, just one quick thing. You could tell by the end of last year that Oklahoma State was not feeling it. Like these big power conference teams, you can tell when they're like you get into late February, early March, you can tell when the team season is done. That and Aaron Rodgers just got hilt off the field in New York. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going in my background here and it's still running on. And yeah, Aaron Rodgers just got uh, helped off the field by uh, trainers. So anyways. Hello. Uh, as a Wisconsin resident, that is quite notable. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm a little more, maybe I'm just always an optimist on things, but I'm a little more optimistic about this. Um I also am a little uneasy just about, you know, TV networks getting this much power in this situation. But, I mean, it kind of also just emphasizes the need. And we can get into this. I think this is honestly more for the second half of this conversation about just, you know, college basketball needs to figure out its own situation aside from from the college football situation right now because it's too completely – They have two completely different sets of needs. Um, But in terms of this postseason tournament, I mean, take away the weird parts of it. It does, as crazy as it sounds, it's kind of a win for for the conferences involved and the teams involved. Because, I mean, how many of these Big Ten, uh, Big East, and I forget the other one, Big Big 12 12. was the third? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. How many of those teams end up in the NIT and then lose to like some random mid-major? I mean, Oklahoma State lost to North Texas at home in the NIT, and that was kind of tough. I mean, even though North Texas was a very respected team, I'd say. uh, I mean, Wisconsin ended up losing to North Texas, too. I mean, the infamous one for me is Kentucky losing at Robert Morris in, in 2013. So, like, in this tournament, stuff like this doesn't exactly happen. I mean, it, there's also the potential that, you know, some years you could have rivalry games set up. Like uh, 2019, you could have had a Nebraska-Creighton rematch, which you almost got in the NIT, but you could have had that in this tournament out in Vegas. Uh, it's kind of weird, though, that, you know, you kind of fall short of your goals and you get rewarded to a, a trip to Vegas where you – your players get to make a lot of money and also like what NIL deals are involved. Like how much value is there in these teams? But uh, I don't know. At the same time, it's also more basketball. Like I watch the NIT. The games are kind of fun for the most part. I watch the CBI sometimes. Uh, Like I would watch this tournament still like it's, and the other part about, you know, coaching changes. I mean, Xavier won the NIT with an interim coach two years ago. Uh, Jonas Hayes, who actually used that experience to to get a head coaching job at Georgia State last year, mm-hmm. which honestly is something I forgot about until right now, but truly a remarkable story on his part. Good for him. And honestly, it also helped Xavier kind of build confidence for year one under Sean Miller. So I think it's, I don't know, for the teams that want to make lemons out of lemonade out of lemons, excuse me, um, there's a lot of 
opportunity in, in an event like this where, you know, you can end your season on a high note and, you know, build towards next year, but also, yeah, there, it's just about how you handle it. And I, I do, I will admit, I don't have faith that this will be uh, handled to the point where it becomes a sustainable event. It seems like right. a, a one-off thing that will be kind of laughed at like the Vegas 16. That to me is one of the bigger points too, is that how do teams handle it? Again, if if we're not generally speaking, we as a college basketball consumer base thrilled to watch these teams, why are they going to be thrilled to play in it, right? I, I totally get what you're saying, Matt, but I, I think the lack of motivation from teams, like it's one thing if a team gets hot, plays its way into the NIT bubble conversation and makes a run there. Like, okay, fine, that's one thing, but if you're going to make the NIT, which let's not forget has its own like really prestigious history, right? Like the NIT used to be bigger than the NCAA tournament, right? The NIT has done a good job of, you know, remembering its history while accepting its present. Like it knows it's, you know, second fiddle at this point. It's not trying to overcome the NCAA tournament. It knows what it is and it's made and carved out a nice little niche for itself. I respect that. And I think a big part of that too is, those mid-major group of five conferences whose regular season champ loses, you know, one game in the conference tournament, they get the auto bid then to the NIT. Okay. That's a reward for them, right? They had a great season that they come up one, one game short. They don't play their best. They get that reward. Cool. I like that. I appreciate that. What worries me is that it's supposed to sound like this big magnanimous gesture to group of five schools under the guise of, hey, let's actually split group of five or, you know, mid-major teams off from the power six even more, right? Like in that, that, that quote that you mentioned, Landon, it was, this would create more postseason opportunities in men's basketball for mediocre teams that were on the bubble of the NIT at best. And the last part of that is, and it would also open up more spots for mid-major schools to play in the NIT. I get why mid-major schools would want the extra exposure I would tell them to pump the brakes a little bit because if you go for this, if you're okay with this and you're on board with it, that's just a great way for these power six conferences to split off even more. Oh, you're happy with the NIT? Okay, let's kick you out of more NCAA tournament berths then. I would pump the brakes if I were them. I think this is a slippery slope to where they get you know shoved even further down the totem pole. It's intentionally, you know, becoming more of a barrier between the haves and the have-nots, which mm-hmm. in the in today's world of college athletics is sadly like a topic that has become pretty prevalent. And the fact that they're trying to do this to, like you said, Austin, an NIT that means a lot and has been around forever and is an institution. And even that institution is starting to slowly fragment a little bit too with their final four getting moved to Vegas. Um, they're now trying to move it around under the guise of, ooh, let's go to all these historic college basketball places after being Hinkle. in Madison Square Garden for so long. Yeah, I know. And that and that's, you know, a, a proper story for another time on this on this show too, is the uh, the Hinkle Fieldhouse experience that Matt and I shared right before the pandemic oh, shut down. Yeah. <laughs> walking around basically a, a ghost town butler campus. So I guess that's where the NIT um, we'll be having its final foreign championship next year, but you're already kind of, you're already sort of, sort of starting to see like some of the iconic pillars that have made college basketball so successful for as long as it's been and so popular uh, start to wither a little bit. Um, and this would really do that. And I don't know it, the, how segmented it would make things is really, really concerning for me too. Well, I think the NIT is honestly it really started to wither. I'd say go back to like 05 when the NCA purchased the NIT and kind of moved it all under one umbrella. And I, there is some good to that. I love that they, you know, try out experimental rules in the NIT. I think there needs to be more of that, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I hope that if this Fox tournament becomes a real thing, I hope they do the same thing. We're like, let's try out this rule or this rule, or maybe even like, if we really don't care and we're not taking this seriously, like throw in the Elam ending, things like that. Uh, because again, apparently none of this matters. Uh, but I think that is kind of the, the main story here is like, this is another big moment where like TV networks are starting to challenge the NCAA's authority. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, I think a lot of people are viewing this as, you know, if they can 
you know, poach from the NIT, you know, what's stopping CBS and Turner or Fox from also like poaching from the NCAA and, you know, pulling apart, arguably like pulling apart by far their biggest moneymaker. So it's, uh, it's kind of a fascinating, you know, almost canary in the coal mine. This feels like a very early battle and what could turn into like a pretty big war here. It, it makes sense that we're having this conversation in college football. I think that sport is too far gone structurally that a divide of some sort is coming. College basketball doesn't have to be, right? We and plenty other people say that March Madness is the perfect tournament. Not because our teams win it, but because you have the mix of, of Davids and Goliaths. You have the the random runs. You have the, the late season intrigue for bubble teams. And yet we're still trying to mess with it. One of the arguments in the athletic piece that they think we should move to here to, to wrap up this conversation is that, well, it's less than, you know, a quarter of teams getting a shot now. Draw it out, right? Not more than a quarter of teams deserve a shot. There's only a couple handfuls of teams that have a realistic shot anyways. And we understand that. And we accept that. It's part of the deal, right? We love the drama. We love the upsets early on in that tournament. But the vast majority of people tune in for and will root for those big name matchups, kind of like we got in, you know, 2022, where you have uh, Villanova, Kansas on one side and Carolina Duke on the other side. That's what draws ratings. That's what draws eyeballs in that, that second kind of wave of games. That first wave of games, though, it's where you get your Fairleigh Dickinson's over Purdue's, your Norfolk State's over Missouri's that are equally fun in their own way. We don't need to expand the tournament to give more teams one other game that might not deserve it, right? Because then you're tapping into that NIT group of teams that already had a shot all regular season long to prove that they were good enough to be one of the 68 teams in the field. If 30 games isn't enough to make your case well enough, that's on you. I'm sorry. It's fine the way it is. Just because we're losing the Pac-12 when we lose one auto bid doesn't mean we need to shake everything up. Sorry, I just got very distracted by, you know, group chats are blowing up right now with the Aaron Rodgers situation. <laughs> There's talks of Achilles already. So, I mean, oh, that's very on brand for the Jets. But, I mean, yeah, I think it's time to, you know, as the NCAA, they really should, you know, every 10 years or so take an evaluation of, you know, how do we make this event better and make it adjust with the times? I mean, they did that back in 2010 with adding the first four, which I think, you know, some people complain about it, but I think it's a resounding success, especially when you look at the fact that a lot of those teams have gone on to make runs. Uh, I don't know why they have to do it with the 16 seeds, but also by, you know, clumping more of those bad teams in the 16 seed line, it kind of has made it a little, uh, it's kind I think that's a big reason why we've seen a lot more of the 15 over twos because, a lot of the previous 16 seeds are, you know, would it, like a lot of this year's 16 seeds would have been like 15 seeds 20 years ago, things like that. Whereas now it's like some of those 14 or even 13 seeds are now playing a, on the 15 seed line, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think my math's right on that. So it's like they did a good job then of, you know, going from 65 to 68. Uh, I don't know if now is exactly the time to make that evaluation or if they should wait and see how conference realignment plays out and just what that looks like after a season or two in college basketball, because that's kind of where my brain's broken is like with these 20 team conferences, like how do you determine like which 10 and 10 team is, you know, a good 10 and 10 team and which one is, is not like, I don't know if the net can even help with that. So it's it's just a it's a mess, um, yeah. I, but I think it's good that you know. Hopefully, they are kind of looking at you know how can they adjust with the times again. And I don't envy the selection committee and the role that they're going to have to take. It's the same. The thing I get keep getting hung up on is it's the same pool of teams that they're pulling from. They're just going to be arranged a little bit differently in conference play, mm -hmm. and to the point that you know, we were sort of hitting on in the Vegas proposed tournament. 
I don't know if anybody's going to want to really see more middling power conference basketball if that's what this gets expanded to. Like taking the first four out last year, for instance, Oklahoma State, great, right up my alley here. That team did not deserve to make the NCAA tournament after the way they ended that season. They needed to do more in the Big 12 tournament. They didn't do so. They squeaked by a really down Oklahoma team and then scored like 40 points against Texas. It was the worst thing I've ever seen with my eyes in quite some time. Mm -hmm. They didn't deserve to be there. So if that is the criteria of things and, and, and teams that this new tournament will take in, then I don't really know if that's worth it. Um, we, I think an important point to note though, in that article from the athletic, they did say, I think in an ideal world, if they do expand, I think 90 was the proposed max. Um, let me go back and, and get that number correct uh, because that is important. The somewhere North of the current 68, but ideally less than 96. I think if you're doing this, anything above 80, like that's just that's too much. I could maybe see an argument for like expanding this, you know, four, five, six teams maybe playing the first four into a bigger deal because I do think that mm-hmm. to an extent that holds great value. And the other thing that's nice for those low seated teams on the sixteen line is it allows them to make program history. You know, a lot of these schools that are smaller that have never been to the NCAA tournament have never won an NCAA tournament game. And now when you're punching against someone in your own weight class before going and playing one of the big dogs in the college basketball world, that's a great opportunity. So, you know, if it's about expanding more for like those folks and some of them in major teams, because like, for instance, in the NIT last year, like you saw those conference USA team goes, go on runs, Utah Valley out of the whack made a pretty um, fun push. Mm-hmm. Like if the, if the opportunity is getting expanded to like sort of overlooked 2021 win teams and conferences like the WAC, conferences like the Missouri Valley conferences like those, I'm all for it, but you know that's not what that's not what is going to happen, and it's going to reward more middling power conference basketball. So I'm kind of torn on it. I think that eventually it probably will happen just because money, but I know it's probably also not going to reward the teams that honestly would probably deserve it more that would make the NCAA tournament more intriguing product. So I don't know. I, I think it's kind of just inevitable at this point, but – I mean, 96 is just a ridiculous number. So I really hurts my brain. It, it's, I mean, we look at like the, the WCC tournament bracket or even the Big Ten with 14 teams. It's just convoluted. It's so impossible to follow, figuring out who, who has a bye when, uh, what matchup goes where. So yeah, if you're going to add a play-in game for the 16 seed in each region and a play-in game for either the 11 or 12 in each region, fine, sure, that's okay. But if we're going to all of a sudden give the top eight seeds in each region, a buy. Well, why not the top nine? Because there's so little separation between the eights and the nines. The tens, elevens, twelves all of a sudden look like heavy favorites and, and they're they're mediocre at best, you know, and they did enough, but probably just barely enough to sneak in. So if it's going to be kind of, you know, old ESPN2 bracket buster style where you're playing, you know, Mo Valley yeah. versus, um, you know, A10 type of games, that's one thing and it's fine. But if we're going to expand it even more to, you know, back to that list, Wisconsin, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, that either don't deserve to be there or don't want to be there, what's the point? And later down in that athletic article too, um, especially if we look at these these at-large bids, taking last year's tournament, 32 of the 36 at-large bids went to Big Ten, ACC, Big 12, SEC, or Big East. The remaining power conferences. 32 of 36. That's 8 out of 9. That's 89% of them already went to those conferences. You had 3 out of the Mountain West and 1 out of the West Coast, which would have been St. Mary's after Gonzaga gets in, right? It's already incredibly slanted that way. And the way we rank them is off of conference play, right? So if that's going to continue to be the ranking... Of course the big boys are going to get more teams in. That's what the selection committee has said it's going to do, and we have to take them at their word. So there's there's a way in which, you know, 68 isn't the perfect number, and you can sneak a few more teams in, but I think for the health of the sport at large, people would be a lot more interested in watching, you know, for example, a Drake-Wichita State game from 2021 
Um, maybe a UCLA Michigan State game just because those are two big enough names, but I think that's kind of the exception. But like Belmont Temple in 2019, those Belmont teams are fun, right? Temple hasn't been all that great. They make a run and they get there. No one wants Syracuse Arizona State. Those are two disgusting basketball programs that don't deserve another chance, right? Kansas State, Wake Forest, lovable losers in 2017, right? They found a way to do something like non-traditional powers, even if they're from power conferences. There's a way to do it, but just letting Syracuse into the NCAA tournament, you know, at the end of the year when no one wants to watch them, we don't need more of it. We need more Mo Valley. We need more A-10. And it's just how do you... How do you do that in a responsible way, though, between like, I mean, I'll be honest, like 2013, it did kind of annoy me, like, you know, really Boise, even though Kentucky didn't deserve to get in, it was like really Boise State was the last team in and Kentucky was the first team out when it's like, if you put those teams on the same court, like, I'm pretty sure Kentucky would have won. But, you know, with resumes and the way things go, like, that's the way it fell. So they actually, I feel like the NCAA has done a good job of, you know, like Wyoming was a first four team a couple of years ago. They played Indiana, I remember. Uh, how to do it responsibly with uh, with expansion is kind of confusing. And I think part of the situation, too, that's so weird is, like, we keep on adding. Like, I feel like we've added, like, I don't know, 10, 20 different Division One teams over the last, like, five years. But, you know, the only conference that's been created in the last 10 years was the American Athletic Conference. So it's like if we're going to I think, honestly, if you I don't think it'll happen, but it would make things a lot easier if, you know, we just added another mid-major conference or or something to just, you know, create more opportunity for those teams. But I don't I don't see that happening. But I mean, even like I mean, like the a 10s up to like. 14 or 16 teams like that seems a no one really talks about it but that seems a bit much and like it I feel like that kind of hurts some teams that used to be like perennial powers and and aren't anymore so I don't know there it's a it's it's a sticky situation and I don't it's hard to think about like what's the fair way of you know what's a fair way of doing expansion like if you do it the right way it could be fun and just like this Fox tournament, it would just mean more more basketball and more NCAA tournament, and that's awesome. But, like, yeah, it's so, so hard to think of a way to do that in a fair way that just doesn't kind of ruin the whole thing in the first place. You don't want to water it down too far. More basketball is good, but, you know, at what cost? Where do we get? That, that's kind of where I fall on it. Let's take our last break of the show. Landon, you threw this out there for our last topic. Team USA loses in the FIBA World Cup. Uh, they don't even reach the gold medal game, and they lose to Canada to finish fourth. Let's talk about it. And the head coaching position, I think Mike DeCourcy put out a pretty interesting article, some thoughts in it. Uh, we'll let Landon lead that off, and we get back to the corner three in just a sec. You're listening to The Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. More college basketball analysis after this timeout. Back to The Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Wrapping up another week of The Corner 3, talking college hoops with Landon and Matt. Uh, College hoops flavor to some professional athletes team usa goes down to germany 113 111 final score and then noted bucket getter or not dylan brooks goes off for almost 40 for team canada as they beat team usa to win bronze team usa finishes fourth in the fiba world cup i i don't think it's a huge deal we know the americans will you know get a better roster and more star power um, when it comes around to olympic time but lane and this is your topic i'll let you uh, lead us off here in this final segment you think you and I were reading the same article by Mike DeCourcy when it came to the head coaching position, how it's kind of bounced back and forth since Coach K left. Yeah, I would like to say firstly that I I know that the tournament was, I believe, in the Philippines and sort mm-hmm. of scheduled at odd hours, but I really think that they needed to do a better job marketing this. I know the other uh, – the other deal was that um, a lot of the game's big international stars weren't pr- playing, right? No Giannis, no Jokic. Um, that probably made things a little bit less um, easy to you know, sell to the general viewing public. But 
they need to do a better job letting the people know that the World Cup is on. Anyways, um, yeah, like you said, Austin, Team USA is sort of a disappointing run. You also mentioned this. It's true. The roster wasn't where it probably will be this time next summer at the Olympics. Uh, basically, in the wake of Team USA's um, departure for the World Cup, it was announced that LeBron James is going to put together this American super team uh, led by a whole host of folks. Uh, I was reading an article in The Athletic. LeBron hasn't played since 2012. Steph Curry has never played in an mm-hmm. Olympics, which I would not have mm-hmm. believed you if Whoa. you mm-hmm. never told me that. Uh, he will be 36, I believe, by the time the Paris games roll around. So uh, knock on wood for one of the game's great you know, generational talents that he is healthy uh, and ready to go there by the time next summer rolls around. But the coaching matter is one that, you know, a lot of people are talking about uh, in the article that Austin referenced and that I read as well. The big talking point is that Germany's national basketball head coach, uh, let me pull up his name, Gordon Herbert. I'm sure that's probably not how his last name is actually said, but that is how it looks on paper. <laughs> um, his full-time job is Germany national basketball team head coach. And as the game grows in popularity internationally and more and more internationals are playing internationals are playing high level basketball, not just in the NBA, but also across the world, it's becoming harder and harder for, you know, a team USA coach to just have a, a quote unquote day job being the face of a professional franchise and just come in, have a couple weeks with a group and expect to go win games. That's not the case. And next summer in the Olympics, if Jokic is running for Serbia and Giannis is rolling for Greece, and you have to assume France will bounce back after their disappointing uh, performance in the World Cup, it's not going to be easy. So Steve Kerr is the guy right now, but the article um, brought up Jay Wright as a potential Team USA coach. And I think that is interesting. But the one that really jumped out to me, if Kerr isn't the guy to do it, uh, is Mark Few. Um, Already on the staff. Yeah, he was already on staff. He was an assistant. Uh, he was an assistant under, I think it was him, Spolstra, and someone else was on the bench. Ty Lu. Um, and Ty Lu. If you are going to go to a college coach, I think you would be hard-pressed at the current moment to find you know, too many folks that would be better positioned for that. Fuse had a bunch of NBA guys through his program, especially recently. He's on staff, familiar with with the Team USA culture. And, you know, it does make sense in that article. It laid out a lot of, you know, sound points that college basketball seasons are half as long as an NBA season. It's less intensive, and you can work your way around things a little bit more, especially as college programs start to hire more and more folks to help out with the portal and NIL. There really is starting to be a little bit less on their plate, so it's manageable for a college coach to do it. And if it isn't Kerr, I really would like to see them go to the college ranks to try and find someone, because with a group like this that's going to be as star-powered, you have to think that that might be the move they make. However, um, knowing what we know about Mr. LeBron James, I'm sure that he will also have some input <laughs> as far as who gets that um, gets that coaching selection. So who knows? Maybe if things go well with Bronny at USC with uh, with Einfeld, then that maybe, is maybe he's a guy. <laughs> hilarious visual, and it's it's one of those things where I say that now, but it's like it could very well happen. <laughs> yeah. But right now, it's hilarious to imagine Andy Anfield as uh, as the Team USA <laughs> national team coach. Dunk City in Paris. <laughs> imagine the scenes. Right. Just just imagine the scenes. I think few make sense. Uh, although, here's the thing. The job I've of the college... I've got reservations on it, but I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be brief because we only have a couple minutes left here. If you make sense, since he's on staff already, pretty well-respected guy around the college ranks. Jay Wright makes more sense since he doesn't, you know, have a job right now. And I think even more people like Jay Wright than like Mark Few. Um, but I think the overall point is... The U.S. can't just skate by anymore, right? Kind of like soccer, you need a feeder system with some consistency up and down the ranks. So to have a a system in place, a program in place, I think that would go a long way. Whether you want to do a college guy like Jay Wright or, heck, even Jeff Van Gundy, who's not going to find himself on an NBA bench anytime soon, but coaches a lot of FIBA in his downtime, right? He, he had some success as an NBA head coach. Find a guy that's had that experience with NBA players that can maybe connect to them a little bit more on the professional level, who's not currently coaching in the NBA, and let them, you know, be the head coach of the program, pick their assistants, whatever. 
So my main reservation on few is I don't know if he would. I mean, he probably would. I mean, if you're asked you to turn that down? Your country and lead him, yeah, like you're not going to say no. But also, it's like the majority of like Gonzaga's best players and the ones he's put in the NBA are foreign players. And does you know being the face of Team USA like change that perception at all? From like, does that affect your recruiting internationally? I, I don't know. It might help. I mean, Coach K definitely, I think, got a boost from being the Team USA coach, but it was also, you know, with, you know, five-star one-and-dones, although Duke's never really recruited internationally outside of, like, no. a couple Canadians. Um, RJ, baby! I think, uh, and honestly, that's the problem with college coaches in general, is, like, a lot of them can uh, can just use these national team coaching jobs for recruiting purposes. Like, John Calipari was the uh, the DR coach, right? The Dominican national team coach to get so he could land 15 year old Carl Towns. Uh, Rick Patino coached down in Puerto Rico for a while and then he was in Greece. Uh, I will say though, the best name that hasn't been brought up, I love the Jay Wright idea, but the one uh, credit to Mark Titus for this one now at Barstool Sports. Tad Mata? He's been saying this for years. No, actually, uh, that's another fun. And so that, that I think is my favorite, but I'm not opposed to the Jay Wright idea either. I think Wright makes sense. I think Brad Stevens makes a lot of sense. And either way, here's the thing. When John Shire moves on to an NBA job, either one of those two guys could slide nicely back into Durham. Let me just let me just throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> or Coach K. Why not just have Coach K make this his full-time job again? <laughs> I think he's still involved, at least to some degree, just oh, not yeah, as sure. head coach. So um, any final thoughts on that before we wrap up the show? Don't think so. I think that... Uh... Andy Enfield's sickos chaos idea, though. <laughs> Throwing that in there. But I think LeBron, with the going back to LeBron thing, Brad Stevens would also command a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. From, I mean, the NBA player's perspective, especially with the group that they're planning to assemble, uh, that's not a bad idea to hire someone that's been around the block a bunch, uh, both at the college and professional level, and worked with a lot of those guys. Um, because, yeah, if you take a look at the list that's tentatively planned you're going to want someone that has experience managing a lot of personalities so brad stevens would be a very good shout i will say my final takeaway is it is kind of fun that international basketball's getting to be an even playing field we'll see if that is still the case in 2024 but like i mean 2020 was kind of a weird olympics just because it happened right after the nba finals so i was be honest still (laughs) it was like they literally had the parade and then Chris Middleton got on a flight to Japan. It was kind of weird. I'm kind of and excited, Drew. Though, Don't for... forget Drew. And Drew. Yeah. And Devin Booker. Must he didn't get a parade, though. <laughs> very... What? Book didn't get his parade. <laughs> yeah, it must have been a very awkward plane ride, I, I'd imagine. <laughs> and a very long one. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to next year's Olympics, honestly. You know, mm-hmm. summer basketball instead of, like, right on the first weekend of football. And just, you know, seeing how this... Uh, you know, if do they still win all these games by 20 or 30 with, you know, at full strength, or is it going to be competitive like this year? So there, Matt and Landon, I'm Austin, been another great installment of the corner three. If you want to go back and listen to anything, you can find the rebroadcasts on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, or check out the podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast for the fellows. I'm Austin. It's been a blast. We'll do it again next week. Heart of a Husker comes your way in just a sec.